We are going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. If you brought your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, If not, that scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. Again, that's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. So how many of you, remembering back, and some of you that are in school can answer this more quickly than those of us who are going to have to remember back. But how many of you can remember in high school or junior high for that matter, I guess, but especially in college, going through the dreaded group assignment? Can anybody remember that? How many of you liked the group assignment? Did anybody really? Oh, I see one hand back there, and that hand is probably raised by somebody who let everybody else do the work. Is that right, Rob? No? Yes? No? I'll just play it. Um, But (laughs) I never did like the group assignment just because I'm more like... Just normally an introvert, I like to kind of do things myself and make sure I get that done and, and not to have to necessarily work with anybody. And, and, and most people kind of veer that direction that you would rather just do it yourself. Most people agree with that. Am I the only one? You'd rather just get the work done yourself. Some of you that are really good in teamwork and really good at working with other people, you might get energized by that, and that's awesome. The world needs more people like you. Uh, but people like me and people like the, the, those of you who would rather just get it done, you know how that can be a dreaded phrase when you hear your professor or your teacher in school say it's time for a group assignment or could everybody gather up in teams or I have the teams assigned for you, here you go. But we all know that there's a benefit to such an assignment. That the goal of the teacher or the professor is not only for you to get an assignment done, but for you to develop one of the core characteristics you're going to need in order to succeed in just about any place in the real world, which is the ability to work well with others, to be a team player, to understand how to deal with personalities in a dynamic way that is helpful and not hurtful. We all know that that's the benefit and that's the goal. And what we have in the church, what we have in our Christian walk, is in a way a group assignment. Now, we each stand individually before Jesus when the day of judgment comes. I completely understand that. But at the same time, there is much to be said in Scripture about us doing this together. Last week, we started a study that we're calling We Versus Me. It's the two-week study. We're ending it, not We Versus, excuse me. We is greater than me, uh, that we are ending today, just a two-week sermon series, uh, looking at the importance of doing this Christian life together. And last week, we looked at Genesis, and we looked at how God created man in his image, but he did it in a corporate sense, creating man and woman, creating them together in the image of God, that there is something in the very core nature of who we are and who God created us to be where we actually need to work with one another in order to fulfill the plans that God has put before us. But it was intended that way from the very, very beginning. And that image of God is seen most clearly and is presented to the world most boldly and obviously when we work together. An image that the world is in desperate need of seeing. And this morning as we turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and look at a fairly well-known passage about godly unity, the idea that I want to put before you is this. The Christian life is a team sport. That we work together with other people who bear the same image of God that God placed within us 
fully representing God in a full and complete way when we come together and we do things with each other, sharing life with each other, sharing the great commission of Jesus with each other, sharing the pursuit of holiness with each other, sharing all of the things that we dedicate ourselves to in order to be the people that God wants us to be together, and we do that in the sense of a team. Again, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. The author of Ecclesiastes, who calls himself the preacher, says this, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The preacher, the author of Ecclesiastes, uses three travel or journey related metaphors to show the importance of unity and our need to work together. And the first one that he uses is the idea of someone falling and needing the assistance of a brother to help them. Has anybody ever seen the movie or the book upon which the movie was based, 127 Hours? James Franco, you seen that movie? I haven't seen it. I know the story behind it, but basically it's a true story. There's actually a book. I can't remember exactly what the book is called, uh, Between a Rock and a Hard Place, I think might actually be the book. Um, but it's a story of a hiker who went by himself into the Utah wilderness and went hiking, and uh, something happened while he was hiking, and he got his hand stuck between a rock and a hard place, quite literally, where he couldn't get out. And he had to through some pretty drastic means, if you've read the book or you've seen the movie, he had to free himself by himself, cutting his arm off essentially, before he was able to finally find the help. Now that made for a very intriguing story. And this guy upon which the story was based, I looked him up and he's still traveling around the country and he's doing motivational speaking and that sort of thing, sharing about how people can overcome those kind of problems and overcome those kind of difficulties uh, and, and be able to move forward and be stronger because of it. But none of that would have happened. Like, it would have been a much shorter book and a much shorter movie if one thing would have been different about this man's journey. If he had taken somebody else with him. Now, he wouldn't have, now this is kind of a bad metaphor, because he wouldn't have the millions of dollars that he made off the book and that he's made off the movie, but he would probably, maybe, still have his hand if he was able to go through that whole process while someone was with him. Now, it could have been much more devastating. It could have been something that actually killed him. But in a real way, not a metaphorical way, in a real way, a lot of us view ourselves as lone rangers, and we go through the world, we go through the Christian walk alone. And all it's going to take is for one shifting of the environment around us, for one problem to happen, and we will fall. And pity the man, as it says in Ecclesiastes, who falls and has no one to help him up. What kind of situation would that be? Maybe you've felt like you've been in that place before. Because sometimes we get injured, don't we? Either real or, or metaphorically. If you've ever been physically injured to the point that you had to depend on someone else to care for you, you had to depend on someone else to dress you or to bathe you or to feed you or to do all of those things that you were used to doing yourself. If you've been in those shoes, you know what it's like to need someone, to need the assistance of a brother or sister or a spouse or a friend. 
And maybe it's not a physical problem. Maybe it's an emotional issue that you need some support or someone that will just listen to you vent your problems instead of trying to fix everything. That you need someone to just carry that burden alongside you and along with you. Sometimes we get injured and we need the help of someone else. And from a Christian perspective, maybe it's a spiritual injury. Maybe we feel some distance from God. Maybe there's a sin on our heart that we just can't seem to get over the guilt of. Maybe there's something else going on in our walk that just feels off. And we need someone to come alongside us and to pray with us, to pray over us, to pray for us. When teammates get injured, the other teammates come and help. They render assistance. They bring aid so that someone doesn't have to go through that difficulty alone. Teammates stand in the gap. And so that's the first thing that the author of Ecclesiastes shows us. Is that when someone falls, if he has another with him, he has someone to help him. And then he uses a different metaphor. Again, imagine going on a long journey. Imagine falling and and, and the, the disaster that that would be. But also, especially if you're in an area like Israel... Uh, in kind of a desert-like environment, when night would come and you would need to to find a place to rest and a time to be warm, that that desert air could be very cold and it could, could bring the heat right out of you. And so he talks about the metaphor of keeping warm at night. Imagine, so this isn't like lying at home in bed. This is like out, you're camping, you're by yourself and, and you're trying to stay warm. You're trying to survive. The idea of someone doing that by themselves without heat coming from any outside source seems very difficult. Now, I have two little kids and, and Corbin is five. You know that. I tell you that all the time. I use them for illustrations all of the time. So I know you know this. I'm not telling you anything new. But one thing that they love to do and that Corbin still loves to do is to snuggle. Now, I'm 34. I don't like to snuggle. Like, I love my wife, but there are times, and, and come on, you, come on, I'm not the only one who does this. I know this. There are times when I just, and she's the same way, all of you are the same way, you just want to be left alone, right? I just want to go to sleep. I want to I wanna be cool. I don't want to, like, sweat. There's something about, like, when you, when you cuddle with another adult that I just start sweating immediately because I have my own body heat, and that's enough, but when you put somebody else's body heat, that's difficult. But, but Corbin, it doesn't matter if he's sweating. Like even if he's running around, if something happens and he wants to snuggle, he, he does it immediately. There's something within all of us, and maybe it's a cynical nature that we have within us as human beings, adults in 2017, to where we grow out of that. And we lose that desire, or maybe we still have the desire for human contact, but we often push it down and ignore it. In a spiritual sense, We need to come together and depend on the warmth of our brothers and sisters. This world can be a cold and lonely place, and sometimes we just need someone else to share a little bit of warmth that they have, a little bit of warmth of the Spirit within them. Again, this is something I know that you have experienced if you are human, the coldness and darkness of the world around us, that sometimes we can go through a season where it seems extremely cold, and if you watch the news today, we're certainly in one of those seasons as a country And in those times, instead of pulling apart, instead of depending on our own warmth, we come together and we share the warmth of Jesus that resides within all of us. Teammates stand in the gap and teammates provide warmth. Teammates are there in the dark and brutal and cold moments to just be that source of heat, that source of energy and hope for someone who is in desperate need. And then the final metaphor that the preacher uses is the metaphor of withstanding an attack. 
If someone attacks someone who is alone, he might overtake them, he says. But if there are two, they will resist him. They will beat him back. Again, the idea is of a bandit along a roadside, someone coming and and, and trying to steal or kill or do something destructive against you or against your property. We see that today as well. You know, if someone is alone in an environment, if someone is is brutalized in any way uh, in our world today, it's usually because they were some something happened and they were stuck alone somewhere with nobody else to protect them. You see it in the wild as well. You know the Discovery Channel or National National Geographic when you're watching the lion and you're always rooting for him because he never wins on these shows, but. You see the way that lions hunt together in a pack and that they, they, they take the, the young or the old or the sick and they try to wait until they get alone at a watering hole by themselves or they try to do something else in such a way to divide that person from the group. That's what the enemy in, enemy in any form is always trying to do to divide and conquer. And the only way to withstand an attack is to do it together. The world can be cold. It could also be dangerous. And in that sense, we provide a defense for one another. Have you ever been attacked publicly? You don't have to raise your hand for that one. But have you ever been attacked publicly and had someone defend you? If you know what that's like, I mean publicly, it could be big in front of a bunch of people, or it could just be in your family or in your circle of friends. And you had someone step up to your defense. You know the life raft that that can be. You know the aid that that can render, the salve that it can be to an open wound of someone else attacking you. That's what we ought to be for one another. Now, I've never experienced personal attack in that sense, but I see the church badmouth, and whether it's the church in general or whether it's people like to pick on First Baptist churches for some reason, we'll see people say negative things sometimes, and there is that within me that if someone steps up and stands up for the church by spirits are lifted, I'm reminded that I'm not in this alone. Not everybody feels this way about his church. And let me just take one like little step over for a second to get on a soapbox for just a minute. One thing that I think we need to be desperately careful about in 2017 is the way that we talk about God's church. It is the hope of the world. There's a guy named Bill Hobbles that said that, a preacher in Chicago, that the church of Jesus Christ, the local church, is the hope of the world. It is our job to take the message of God, to take the great commission and love and grace and gospel of Jesus Christ to a world in need. And if we are not doing that and instead criticizing the problems that we see in the church publicly for everybody to hear, then we are missing the point. There's one thing that I like to tell our staff in our church, which is to criticize privately and praise publicly. And that is what we ought to be about as a church. If you have a problem, I want to hear it. Like, and I don't mean with our church, I mean with the church as a whole, we need to talk about that within our group so that we can get better at what we do. But at the same time, the way that you talk about the church in public, you are talking about the bride of Christ to people who need to have a marriage with that bride so that they might not spend an eternity in heaven 
hell, but rather an eternity with Jesus in heaven. That's the stakes of the matter. And so we need to be careful when we talk about the most powerful force, organization, institution on this planet. It is God's church. It is God's idea. It is his idea to take the hope of the gospel to the rest of the world. Sorry, I'm getting on a soapbox. I'll step off. But I just want you to know how incredibly important it is that we represent the church well in our day, in our age, when so many people are saying terrible things about it. Come to the defense of the church. It is the hope of Jesus Christ alive in the world. And I say the church, I don't mean an institution. I mean the people of God in this planet. Because the lynch mob mentality is alive and well in our culture, both with the church and with individuals. You see it at work. Anytime anybody does something wrong, some celebrity, everybody rushes to destroy them. Whether it's a politician or it's somebody who sings or acts for a living, anytime that they mess up in any, any big way, all of a sudden the entire world, whether they know them personally or not, in most cases they don't, run to destroy them. May we, with the same energy as the people of the gospel of peace, May we, with the same energy, run to the defense of our brothers and sisters when we know someone that is attacking them unjustly. When we hear a word of gossip about someone that we know and we know that is not who they are, you are saying something that is false. May we, with the same energy that the world tries to destroy each other, may we defend each other with that energy. Because teammates defend each other. That's what they do. And you and I are teammates. We are in this together. Teammates stand in the gap. They act as substitutes. They pick up their brother when they are down. I say substitutes. You know, if you've ever played on a team, you know that when someone goes down with an injury, there is someone else waiting to take their place. It should be that same way in the church, that we are waiting to pick up the weight that that person can no longer bear in the midst of an injury. That teammates provide warmth in a cold and dark world that we come alongside people who are going through difficulty and give them the warmth of the spirit within us, the hope and the energy that Jesus brings. And teammates defend each other when they are attacked from outside. And the last thing that the preacher says in the scripture that we read this morning, it almost seems like another thought because he is talking about a pair. At the very last of the verse, verse 12, he says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, there's some debate as to exactly what the preacher is talking about. For basically all of my Christian life, and especially my Christian teaching life, I have assumed that this third individual was God. And I've used it in weddings to talk about that. I use it in weddings all the time. If, you, if I've married you, chances are I use this scripture at some point to talk about how we need to have the, the husband, the wife, and God intertwined together. And that the world, when it comes against it, cannot tear that cord apart. Now, I think that's an okay interpretation of that, but I have five commentaries that have the book of Ecclesiastes in it, and all five of those guys who are much more highly educated than I am, who have studied the scripture a whole lot more than I have, said that that's probably not what the preacher was talking about. He could have been talking about a child in a, in a family situation. That when husband and wife come together, they add a third cord by adding a child. But I think that there's a greater point behind it all. You see, in Scripture as a whole, we understand the need for God to be at the center of our relationship. But I think it's understood at this point by the author of Ecclesiastes that God should be in the middle. I think the preacher's main point is this. The more we are, the stronger we are. The more we are, the stronger we are. Two are great 
three is better. Three is awesome. Four is better. And you can keep going and going and going. Now, I'm not going to get into a worship of numbers or anything like that, but I'm encouraging you to surround yourself with a team, that that's who we are. And everything that we do in our church to build relationships with each other goes toward this end. Because the more people that we connect with, and I don't just mean sit in a pew with, I mean the more people that we spiritually connect with, that we share our lives with, that we sit down and have coffee or lunch with and and describe our struggle or listen to their struggle, the more people that we pray with, and again, not just pray, God, please be with this person and this person and let us have a great meal together, but God, going to God in prayer and, and, and begging for him to intervene in this person's life and in what's going on praying a blessing over their new job or something else going on in their life or their child that is sick, the more that we get involved and we actually share life with each other, the stronger that cord becomes and the harder it's going to be for the enemy to rip any of us away because a cord of three strands cannot be quickly broken. A cord of four strands is even stronger. And so what I want you to take away from this is that encouragement, once again, that the Christian life is a team sport. And to look at it as such, not a singular objective, but an objective that we share together, to pursue together. Yes, you need to take care of yourself. Yes, you need to pursue an individual relationship with Jesus. But we need to do that as a body of Christ. Because we is greater than me. I know that I will get further if I lean on you than if I just depend on my own strength. I know that I will learn more if I read from commentaries of people who know more than I do than if I just did it by myself. I know that the Spirit will speak to me in ways that I can't comprehend on my own if I listen to someone else from a different culture speak into my situation. I know that I will be challenged and convicted in the way that I father, in the way that I am a husband, if I allow my wife to speak into my life. I know that I will be challenged and I will be convicted to move forward as a pastor if I allow the deacons of this church, if I allow my fellow staff members, if I allow each of you to speak into my life. It is a team sport. Don't do this alone. Don't go in a hole by yourself and think that you have to do this by yourself. If you're struggling, ask for help. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again because it's one of the things that we struggle with so much in our world that we think we're weak if we ask for help. If you are struggling, ask for help. I need you and you need me. And the sooner we realize that in the way that we pursue God together, the sooner we will be a three-stringed cord that cannot be quickly broken. So be a team player. The Christian life is a team sport. Pray for your teammates. Pray with your teammates. Pay attention to your teammates and step in when it looks like help is needed. When you need help, ask for it. Someone might get the blessing that they need by rendering help and aid when you are in the midst of need. Get involved in a group. Get involved in a group. We have some awesome Sunday school classes in our church. I don't encourage you to go to one of them. If you want to know which one you would fit in, come talk to me, and I can point you to any one of them. There's some awesome people in those Sunday school classes sitting in pews beside you. Talk to them about the class. Go and get involved so that you can share life with one another. 
we have men's groups and women's groups. We're going to have a, a couples group here in a, in a few weeks or a couple, well, sometime at the end of September where we, we have a marriage class with each other. We have opportunities for you to do life with each other. We have those men's and women's groups on Wednesdays. Uh, come and get involved in some way. And, and maybe you're, you're, you don't, you're just not going to do that, no matter how much I implore you to. If that's you, then find a Christian brother or sister to have coffee with once a week. Go to the grind or, or, or go to Starbucks in Alvarado. Or if you don't like coffee, go drink some water. I don't care. Just get together with someone that is not you, that you don't live with, that you don't see all of the time. You need to be involved with those people, of course. But share life with someone outside of yourself regularly. Because there's going to come a time when you fall or your brother falls and you're going to need someone to pick you up. There's going to come a time when, when coldness and darkness intrudes into your life and you're going to need warmth or somebody else is going to need the warmth that you have. And there's going to come a time when the world comes against you and attacks and you're going to need someone else to stand to your defense and perhaps you need to stand to the defense of another. Pity the man who falls and has no one to help him. But the one whose brother is there can help him up team sport. Let's do it this way. One thing that we're going to do starting next week, uh, we're going to have a, a new campaign, a new sermon series here at the church called Word 511. I'll explain more about that next week, but the core idea of it is to read scripture and to read scripture together as families. And so one thing that, that we're going to do, an idea that one of our deacons had way back earlier this year uh, that I think some of you have done before, is we're going to read Scripture together as a church. And what I, what I mean by that is, there's a sign-up sheet right here on our drum case, uh, with a glass case right here, um, that I would love for you to go and to sign your name. Um, whoever signs up for 8 o'clock on Monday morning, you're going to start at Genesis 1. And you're going to read for 30 minutes, an hour. They're in 30-minute increments. If you're the kind of person you think, I want to read for two hours, then sign four blanks, whatever. But you read as long as you can, as long as you want to. Uh, when, you find, when you get to the end of your 30 minutes or your hour, you stop. You call the next person on the list, and they will pick up right where you left off. Uh, and we're going to do that both as a way to focus on the importance of Scripture as well as to focus on our body and doing those things together. So I would encourage you to do that. I have Monday and Tuesday of the week that we're going to start. It's not until September the 18th, so it's a ways from now. Uh, we're going to do it as long as we can. We'll bring more days in here as it comes. I would ask you to sign up consecutively so that there's no blanks. Uh, those of you who are not owls, you can do the 4, 3 o'clock in the morning ones. We're going to do it around the clock. I think it's going to be an awesome thing. I hope that you get involved in that. Uh, and that's the commercial, so I hope that you check that out before you go. But the encouragement today is that Christian life is a team sport. I need you and you need me. Let's not pretend like anything else is the case and let's lean on each other. Who can you be there for? And who do you need to ask to be there for you? Think about that question during our time of invitation. Let's stand together. I'm gonna pray. If you need to pray with me, I will be down here to pray with you. The altar will be open if you would like to pray there. You can always pray where you are. And again, I'll be here to pray with you about this or anything else. Let's pray together. The band is going to lead us to the song of invitation, and then you move in whatever way God is calling. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for being here among us and within us. God, we thank you that we don't just unite just to unite, but that we unite to follow you, and that you give us a purpose to come together, a cause to rally around. God, I pray your prayer that you prayed in John chapter 17. God, that you would make us one, 
as you and your Father are one. God, that we would be united in spirit and in purpose as a team, pursuing the goal of building each other up, loving you, and loving each other. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.